0: This evening I'd like to talk about faith, trusting our potential for transformation. First to congratulate you for getting to this point in your practice. (laughs) I know it must have taken many times a degree of faith you didn't know you had. And um, thank goodness we're, we're all still here. Along the way, we ask ourselves all along our path and probably many times during this retreat for each one of you, you've probably asked yourself or in some way or form pondered on what is going to keep you going through your path so you can take it home with you so perhaps you can have the intention to come back for another retreat It's amazing how many of us keep coming back when when we look back on a retreat and we realize, you know, there were these few glimpses of beauty, and and maybe some of us had a lot more than just a few. But we, most of the time, it's pretty hard, (laughs) and yet we're we're still here. We come back over and over again because there's something deep within us that knows that. Going through the rough parts of our practice is really where we grow. That's where we gain more deepening in our understanding of the Dharma that's within us, that's growing within us. That's where we gain the strength uh, to keep going on our path. That's where our heart opens most, because we're presented with situations that are threatening to close our heart down. And to help us, to um, to not help us keep going. So, what's going to help us keep going to navigate our way through lives, day by day, and not give up on ourselves completely? It's a big question for all of us, no matter how long we've been on the path. Sure, there are times when we need to back off a bit to take a break, even within retreat. It's very, very common. We might feel guilty that we're not up to par with everyone else, but if you could see the, if we all could see the suffering and the real um, hardships that each one of us go through, we would not feel less than one another. We would, we would only be encouraged by how people keep going. So we take a break sometimes, we begin again, over and over again. This is the way we keep our faith going. We just take that very next step over and over again. There are so many outer conditions that activate inner conditions of uneasiness in the heart and in the mind. And I just want to put a voice to that because these days of our lives, like most any time in history you know, it, it can be really hard at all levels and we're facing these days some of the most difficult challenges about the environment about social um, injustices just about opening to a very different place in ourselves and in the world that perhaps we know deep inside that us as for ourselves as individuals and for groups of us who are banding together, we know we can make a difference. But it's really, really um, challenging to do that with what we're facing. And it's really important for us to take breaks like this because we need to catch our our, our breath. We need to tune in to our basic faith in ourselves once in a while. So sometimes we come to a place like this and we think, um, maybe we've been here a lot a lot in retreat at or, or at other places, but we still have this thought, oh, this is selfish. I'm just doing it for myself. I'm taking, you know, I'm in this kind of Dharma spa. <laughs> it isn't always beautiful inside, though we can see the beauty outside that helps us, but inside it can be very, very difficult. But these are the difficulties that, give us more strength when we can face what's going on inside. And actually, we start to develop the compassion to see that um, these are the hardships everyone's facing, that compassion that opens to the suffering, not just in ourselves, but in the world. And in some mysterious way, we get more connected in the silence with one another, and in the stillness, not just with those of us in retreat, but with our family, with our community, with the world at large, we get more deeply connected. Because we're not running around and doing our responsibilities and our to-do list, we can really find that place of stillness and peace within us that can perhaps add to the peace in the world. So it's so utterly important to do uh, retreats like this. There are inner conditions, though, of uneasiness in the heart and the mind where whatever we've gone through in our lives, we feel destabilized by our losses that we go through. We feel unmoored sometimes to that place of stability inside. There's sorrow or grief. With whatever's happening uh, in our immediate family or in the world itself, just because you know we're we're here offering the Dharma, sometimes people get the sense that uh, we're floating on a cloud. You know, coming in here, and we're just we're so still that it seems like there's a lot of peace going on in our minds. And for a good, maybe some part of it, or maybe sometimes a good part of it, there is. But there's also the ups and downs. The, the big difference is between now and, for myself, between now and, say, 30 or 40 years ago, is that my mind can, can, experiences, it can experience those ups and downs, but not get so wigged out about them, not so um, reactive to them. So we already feel like what we call the first arrow, but that second arrow doesn't always hit us because we've learned, we've trained the heart, we've trained the mind not to go there. Just to stay at peace, not just the peace that kind of keeps us quiet, but that kind of peace that gives us deeper understanding and clarity about what's going on in our hearts and our minds so that we can face what's going on in the world. So we may have this fear about our future and what it may bring, I have six grandchildren and all the time I think about, I see the beauty of my grandchildren in their 20s. I have the eldest one is in their 20s and the youngest one is uh, 18, 17 or 18 months. And my heart quivers sometimes with fear of what they may have to face in their lives. So I want to do the best I can to offer what I can, not just to them, but... um, to everybody I come in contact with to lessen the hurt in the world and in myself. So we may sense in ourselves and around us that we're in this sea of vulnerability, we're in the sea of changing conditions. Now, more than ever in my lifetime, I see how much change we're going through. It's as if we're going through a really important gate in our humanity where we can um, really uh, be a voice for positive change, for that strong kind of change that brings deep peace and understanding in the world. But we need to know how to touch into that inviolable quality of faith that we have in ourselves, in this potential for change towards what will benefit the good of the world. But mostly it's faith in ourselves. That's what carries us. Mostly it's faith in ourselves. This is a poem by um, David White, one of my favorite poets. He really touches into a lot of human emotions uh, that are true, the truth of emotions, the truth of ways we feel in the world, not just ways we think about things, but ways we actually feel. So the title of his poem is called Faith. Um, Nowadays you can just Google these things so (laughs) we don't put them on the board anymore. (laughs) Faith. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over the cold snow night after night. Faithful even as it fades from fullness slowly becoming that last curving and impossible sliver of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith in myself. I refuse it, the smallest entry. Let this then, my small poem, like a new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. It's just that intention we have, right? That's the prayer. Prayers are intentions, in a way. So that's the first prayer we have about ourselves as we go out into the world. Can we open? Can we have faith enough in ourselves that we've gained something here that we can take back with us? Maybe we need a little more time to digest it all, to let it um, spread let that nourishment spread through our hearts, minds, and all the cells of our bodies. But it's there. That faith is there. That faith that brings that, that uh, ability to face life in a different way. So mostly faith in oneself. Each one of us has come here to be on a, some kind of spiritual path. And maybe, you know, we have names for it, the Dharma, the Dhamma, uh, the Buddhist path of liberation, the Eightfold Noble Path, all of those words we put to it. But in the end, it's really about how you see life in yourself and how you can relate to it in a way that brings deep clarity, peace, and the compassion to act or not act. We frequently forget that possibility sometimes just to refrain. That's part of compassion too. So to be able to act or not act in life, whatever is appropriate, where it brings some benefit to ourselves and to others, of course, it sends out ripples in the world. We have some faith, some kind of faith, each one of us, that there is some intuitive intelligence and maybe some actual experiences that our practice does bring benefit. Some of us who have been on the path a long time may reach places where, woo, it's really hard to get through that place. It's called the folding up the mat stage. And we have several of them through our practice. Because there are different thresholds we walk over, gates we go through, Where we face different kinds of challenges. And of course, each one has our Achilles heel challenge. So sometimes it can be, it can seem so simple that somebody else can walk through that gate, but it's hard for us. But unless we face what we step through, we'll never gain that faith, we'll never gain the strength to be able to open to it and to do it. We see the changes in our own lives and we see how sometimes it ripples out into the world. Um, I've had experience with my own family. They don't know much about what I do. Mostly they don't. I don't tell them all the details. I think they're actually in disbelief that I would be up here talking to anybody. (laughs) I was telling my um, colleagues that my um, my daughter, my third daughter, she brought my things to a retreat where um, we teach sometimes in in Washington State, and we passed by the meditation hall. And she asked me. She said, "Well, what do you do to help here, Mom?" And I said, "Oh, I I teach." And it, the conversation went something like that. And she says, "Oh, where where do you teach?" And I said, "Well, see that seat up there in." The, I sit there, and she just looked at me in disbelief, <laughs> you know. Mom who washes the dishes and things like that. Uh, <laughs> I've learned a lot from raising children. <laughs> a lot of it is humility. <laughs> um, But, you know, that ripples out in the world, what what we bring. We may be totally quiet about what we've learned here, what we've ingested, what we've uh, uh, brought into, integrated in our lives. But that goes out into the world, even if you say nothing at all. Um, One person a long time ago wrote into IMS and said, my family or my my parents... um, Don't like me so much when I'm a Buddhist, (laughs) but when I can just be deep in my practice and be in the silence within and just be kind I'm just paraphrasing that's when I can really relate. That's when they can really relate to me. So, we don't want you going out there in the world being a Buddhist, you know, it's just somebody with um, more advanced intelligence. (laughs) <laughs> about what leads to happiness and what leads to suffering and choose the path that leads to more happiness. We're learning that bit by bit by watching our own minds here. And then we learn to refrain from causing harm, not just to others, which what the precepts are all about, really, but causing harm to our own karmic stream, by feeding the habit patterns, the default settings, that we have the fortune, the good fortune to see here. Because if we don't see them, if we're not recognizing that they're harmful, not just to others, but to our own karmic stream, those seeds go back into our karmic stream and come up again, over and over and over again, unless they're met with mindful awareness, compassion, kindness, all those beautiful qualities which we're um, honing in on during our time here together. So we all have ways to express this common yearning that we have to deepen in inner peace, to be less reactive towards ourselves and in the world, so that no matter what stones are thrown in in the ponds of our hearts and minds, We know that maybe the ripples will kind of kerfluffle us a bit, but then if we wait and we're kind of, we can be still and peaceful in time, in a short time period, maybe it takes a longer time period, those ripples just settle down and the clarity comes again. So there may be times of destabilization or discord that we feel from the ponds uh, that ripple from the stones of life that are kind of thrown into that pond. But we know those inner ripples will quiet down and we'll be able to see with clarity and act with compassion based on that clarity. So for many of us, I'm not just speaking for myself, but many that I know on the path, including my colleagues here, we have this common yearning to be more at ease, in our lives. This is why we're all here together, because we really do have this um, beautiful intention. We use the word wanting, but we, we want to go in that direction. That wanting is a beautiful intention to have more ease in our hearts and in the lives around us. We're learning how to relax here more, relax around what comes up, not just in our bodies, but we learn to relax how our minds are relating to our bodies. How our minds are relating to thoughts that come up. To the default settings that we get to see, uh, fortunately. It may, be, it may feel unfortunate, but it's lucky that we get to see them in this practice. Otherwise, we'll, we'll just continue to walk in our lives with total delusion and ignorance. Just acting out those defilements, without seeing them first and then having the choice of whether to speak, not to speak, act or not act. We don't have choices when we're just working with the default settings that are covered with delusion because we're not using mindful awareness. So we're learning to relax and have receptive attitude towards simply receiving and recognizing what is being known, moment to moment. That's what we're doing here, together. So even though it's very difficult, uh, we get to see what deep patterns there are. And sometimes it's not so good news, but actually, the deeper we get in our practice, the more clearer and profound and powerful mindfulness gets to be Those deep patterns, even the slight ones, are very well known. And, you know, we can have more cringing moments sometimes to see them. But we have this wisdom that understands it's better to see them than not to see them. Agreed? Yeah. So when they come up... um, even though we cringe a little bit, we have those automatic reactivities to that first reaction, and then there's another reaction, there's several arrows we might hit ourselves with out of habit, but we're still doing our best to employ mindfulness in in those moments so that they're met by mindfulness instead of another moment of delusion, another moment of ignorance, another moment of aversion towards ourselves. So there's a lot of purification taking place here, even though there's these tenacious habit patterns that get very, very clear to us. We're yearning to be free from them. This is a really good yearning. So that yearning that comes up, that, oh gosh, I wish this would stop. You know, maybe we have kind of a feeling of giving up, but also we have the strength of When we get to a a certain place in our practice, there's no going back. Once you get to a certain point, you know you have to keep going. Because you've opened your heart and mind enough to know that the delusion is thinning out. The ignorance is not in every moment now. And you can no longer be blind. We can no longer have our heads in the sand about it and just keep running after pleasure after pleasure to forget about the difficulties that come up, to ignore them. That's what samsara is all about. Samsara is this constant running after pleasant experiences and running away from unpleasant experiences instead of stopping or slowing down and seeing them. And then being able to redirect our path. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy life, it just means we don't get attached to the pleasant experience always being there. So, this yearning, this aspiration to go towards understanding more deeply is what is known as this spiritual aspiration. When we have a spiritual aspiration, it's this aspiration to go towards the unknown. So a lot of us are still wondering about the path. I mean, I, my colleagues and I are pretty clear about where it's going towards and what we need to do. But when you're on the path, sometimes, you know, you follow directions, but you don't know what the hell is going on sometimes. <laughs> what am I really doing here? Um, So that's what spiritual aspiration is, is that we're venturing on a path that we don't know yet what's beyond what we can see. So we have to have faith in ourselves. When we can see bit by bit that it is causing some benefit within us, and it's causing benefit to those around us, this is the real birth of faith. The real birth of faith, it's not faith in some religion or faith in some um, person or being or uh, conglomeration of things that come together that make something bigger than ourselves. We need that, of course. Some points we need that. But what we need most is faith in ourselves. Sometimes this faith is powerful, We feel it so powerfully within us. It's experienced as an urgency. I spoke about it the other evening, this spiritual urgency. That Pali word, that ancient uh, language that the Buddhist teachings were first uh, transmitted in, uh, called Pali, there's a Pali word for spiritual urgency called samvega. And it's um, not just faith in and of itself, but it's such deep spiritual urgency that we develop the faith. We, we We can do nothing else but develop the faith to walk on a path that is onward leading, even though sometimes we don't know where it's leading to. But we feel the benefit of it bit by bit by bit. One of our guiding senior teachers, um, Larry Rosenberg, who uh, was was a great uh, help and supporter of starting the Insight Meditation Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts, he called Samvega this. Samvega leads to the conversion, the freeing of the heart from an egocentric existence to a search for what is timeless, vast, and sacred. And we know that, what is that? We know we haven't experienced that, but there must be something beyond all this coming and going, this chasing after something we think is going to give us lasting happiness, but at some point ends. Or running away from pain. Sometimes we run away from pain simply by chasing after happiness. So in our own unique ways, we felt this deeply in ourselves, this spiritual urgency, this spiritual aspiration. It's a need, very deep, and it's even more basic than survival, the need for survival. And that's, in some part, for all of you, or maybe not quite recognized yet for a few of you, there is this understanding that there's something more than just surviving in life. There's something more than having the best um, role in life that you could help out society with, having a beautiful family, having children, having a place in in your life that gives you fulfillment. There's something more than that. And it gives us this kind of ability to take a step on a path where maybe we don't know where it's leading, but we're willing to take a step in the direction of that unknown. So this aspiration is not like a goal, a goal has some, like we're thinking about a place to be, and there's some kind of even hidden attachment to get there. Aspiration is more like an open-ended journey than it is a goal, where along the way on this path of our spiritual journey, we take great care. We, we follow the, the precepts of non-harming, and we know this is the basis for our walking on the path walk on the path without harming through our words, through our actions, and through the continuation of thoughts that bring on those thoughts, those words and actions. We learn to simply recognize the habit patterns in our minds which are filled with greed, hatred, and delusion. This is the very first thing that begins to happen. We open to all of that. And it's no wonder that a lot of people at the beginning of the path find it very difficult because a lot of the path of vipassana, uh, insight practice, is opening to that. Samatha, or concentration practice, brings us to a place of stillness, to a place of feeling protected from the hindrances. So the hindrances are kind of on the outside of this shelter that we feel in. And sometimes we need to develop that first to know what's possible. And then after we develop that, and some people don't even go to that first step, but sometimes it's really necessary, then we start opening to how things are, l- allowing the difficult states of mind to be known so that we can learn how to deal with them, to navigate with them to weaken them. And this is what the path of insight does. This is this path of vipassana. Vipassana means seeing things as they really are. And this is insight into the true nature of reality. So during our practice, we learn not to feed when the defilements or the greed, hatred, and delusion and any aspect of them comes up. But we learn just to bring a moment of mindful, gentle, compassionate, kind awareness to them. So it, what happens is the experience arises of whatever hindrance it is, awareness arises with that experience, and mindfulness arising with those experiences of defilements over and over again. They arise, they pass away, mindfulness arises and passes away. But what becomes stronger is the mindfulness and the and the compassion and the kindness, those beautiful, uh, healthy, um, wholesome states of mind. And what happens to the defilements is it weakens them. It's just the nature of things. Uh, as Manindra would say, it's the law, the law of how things are. The defilements weaken, the uh, unwholesome states of mind weaken, they pass away, the... Uh, Wholesome states of mind get stronger, and they're the ones that actually win out. So if we can stay on that path of just being mindful, bring the beautiful qualities of mind to also to the foreground, this is the path that, in a very simple way, that's the path we're on, that we're walking. So this very dynamic process of awakening these dormant capacities of those strengths in the mind, which at the same time uh, weaken those unwholesome states of mind, they give us a very deep sense of inner safety, a very deep sense of feeling safe in ourselves. That is to know that if there's unsafety outside, we do the best to not go there. Um, That doesn't mean that we, we... enter every dangerous place, but we we have the sense to not go there, basically. But what we feel inside is that sense of safety, that sense of strength, that no matter what we're being faced with, there is a potential to be able to face it, to be able to have the beautiful states of mind be stronger than the unwholesome states of mind. So we begin to trust ourselves as we face these moments. But it does take facing them to come to that place of trust about ourselves. So when I was um, practicing, during my time of practice, after my children were grown, um, I felt that it was time for me to kind of fulfill a very deep promise I had to myself, that in this life I would even just temporarily ordain as a nun. And um, um, I, I feel like it came from another lifetime. You know, I need to f- finish a little time uh, with that kind of renunciation. But when I uh, went to Burma to ordain, I was in my 50s, and it wasn't easy for me uh, because it was really hot in Burma. Um, I came at a time when it was the coolest season, but it was very much warmer in that cooler season of the year than it had been before. And I was also going through that time of my life when I was having a lot of hot flashes. (laughs) So there was this heat inside, there was this heat outside, and a lot of times I asked myself, what was I thinking? That I was wearing these robes, you know, that were the, with a collar that comes up to here, it's all buttoned down. Um, that's the the top part. And then the bottom part is a skirt that folds over. There's, so there's about three layers in the front. And then you wear this inner robe that's over you. And then you wear this outer robe that's over that inner robe. And then you carry, you kind of wear this kind of sash over your left shoulder that says... You're a daughter of the Buddha in the way that you follow that tradition, so there were so many times I just didn't want to wear that you know <laughs> but um, i I really um, I really just I did a lot of walking practice because I couldn't sit a lot, and basically with the heat and all the walking practice, I virtually walked my butt off. it was really. <laughs> It was really, really difficult for me during that time. When I was doing my bows, I would stay longer in the, you know, i take refuge in the Buddha, and I would just stay there. <laughs> and the second one, in the Dhamma and the Sangha, so I could rest, you know, because there was no place, um, you couldn't see, sit in a chair in the hall. Um, it, was, it was pretty grueling sometimes. So my intention was really to purify my, my practice, to be able to see more defilements that were coming up and to be able to work with them in that way, with that level of renunciation that I really was deeply willing to see the impermanent nature of everything. You know, in other words, to see them do their thing, which is they go. You know, Everything that arises passes away. That is the letting go process. So my teacher, Pandita, asked me, why are you here? You know, it's this time in your life, uh, You, it's not as easy, you know, a lot of younger people come and practice, I practiced when I was younger too, but never this in this way, and I told him that I really wanted to um, purify my heart and mind as much as I could, and this was part of it, you know, of course I would have more to do, but... He said to me something that was very unusual that I'd never heard him refer to in this way before or again. He said to me, "You must be willing to invest everything you have in your practice." And he didn't mean, you know, financially or anything like that because when you go there it's totally free. Um you don't pay anything to attend a retreat there, the food, everything's free. You just offer whatever Donna, that you are able to offer at the end if, if, it's, if you have that ability. So I really knew what he meant was I had to really take stock of what was strong within me, of what I had developed so far in order to continue to keep going in my practice. So I couldn't just rely on that I did so many retreats and, you know, I listened to so many Dharma talks. I really had to rely on my inner strengths and not just that I was there with a a wonderful, my teacher, uh, one of my teachers, and, you know, just be under that guidance, but I had to really use all of that strength. So in order to use it, I had to really know it. I had to really get in touch with it. So faith is the energy. uh, One of the qualities of faith is the energy to seek the good and seeking seeking what is of the highest value. So energy is very much like the wanting mind, but the wanting mind just goes out willy-nilly to what causes can give more pleasure in life. There's very specific words for that kind of wanting. But this faith is what a lot of us have. It seeks the good. It seeks the good for ourselves. It seeks the good for our family. It seeks the good for our community. It's a, very, it's a different word, actually, than the wanting mind that just willy-nilly goes after what the habit is of it, of what it goes after. And um, seeking the good in this regard for me was really understanding in my own heart what is powerful, what I have gained, that my heart and mind, and how it has been in my life that I've gained something to help me in the practice. All the various paramis, patience, not, not like a huge amount, but enough so that I could do my practice I could persevere through hard times. I could have enough equanimity to not get so reactive about everything that was experienced. There was uh, more loving-kindness. All of these paramis are also helping each one of you. It's so important to be in touch with them, to kind of know that, that their presence in your own life within you and to use that presence in your practice. So it's said that faith is regarded as a wise hand. This wise hand, not like, you know, wanting that goes out and just grabs what's pleasant for the sake of experiencing pleasant. But this faith goes out as a wise hand that takes hold of what's really valuable and uses that for our highest aspiration in life. But as I said in the very beginning of our time here together, sometimes we haven't even tried to discover what is our most valuable thing as a human being. What do we value the most as a human being? Just beyond all what we can get in our lives. Like a wonderful family, a a job, you know, just having ease and well-being in our lives, which is something to have in a good way for ourselves. But what is beyond all that? What's our highest value? For some of us, our highest value may be to be a really good person, to be able to know when to act, when not to act, when to give words of praise, and when to be able to say, that's not right, to be able to stand up and say even that. How are we going to... um, Gage what the highest value is in our lives for our own hearts liberation. So some of us have an aspiration to be fully liberated. It's possible um, because many of us uh, were taught by teachers that would say that in in their um, in their injunction to us, in their guidance for us at what they were helping us in our practice for was to become fully liberated in this life so it it was wonderful to be able to um, learn from them and to be guided from them because they didn't lower the bar it was like it's full liberation that's how they're offering the dharma and all of us here are imparting that You know, with that kind of in the background of our minds, we may not be saying that all the time, but that deep sense of wanting that for all beings, including all of you, is part of our heart's um, faith. So um, really seeking out what is deep within us that gives us the, the power to continue our practice recognize your own goodness. When I offered the metta and when various of my colleagues uh, offered, you might have heard part of the practice of metta is to see the goodness, to see the goodness in oneself, to see the goodness in others. So if we can do that every day, just recognize the strengths we have. It really feeds our faith, So it's a wise hand that takes hold of what's valuable and really brings it to our hearts, to our minds. Also it says, faith seeks out opportunities that can fulfill our highest aspirations. It seeks out spiritual friendship and wise counsel. It seeks out hearing and reading the Dharma like you're you're here in practice today hearing the Dharma, reading about it when you're at home. Um, The the Metta Sutta, we chose the Metta Sutta because it's another teaching. You know, it's the words of the Buddha that you can read, you can chant, you can take it into your hearts. And some of those words I'm still learning from. Some of those little snippets of like, hmm... Uh, i really never tuned into that part before. Maybe some of you also. So practicing in this way of solitude and silence, a way that we can help one another really go inwards instead of the constant being pulled outwardly. It's good to take care of our families, our communities, our friends, where we're working. But is that really balanced with how much we're taking care of ourselves? I think it's really good to ask ourselves that question and especially as we're thinking about doing a retreat and we have these thoughts of oh, you know, not so much faith in ourselves maybe not so much faith in what it can do for us but we need to have at least that much balance to know that we need to go inside at times we need to have some solitude Um, We need to see deeply. So this faith is like establishing trust as we navigate the difficult places of our own hearts. Not just the difficult places out there, but we have to include in here in order for that balance to happen. So when I was in practice there in Burma during that time, it was really difficult. Um, Of course, you know how it is. Um, In Burma and in uh, Asian countries, it's the very traditional practice, and you need to be doing your walking and sitting meditation before the breakfast, which is usually around 530 So before 5.30, you will have walked and sat already. So being in the hall at 3.30 in the morning, uh, walking by 4 o'clock, and also um, then sitting and chanting, and then lining up to go to the hall, the eating hall, by 5.30. Being in Burma, for me, there's always some kind of stomach problems, and uh, so having to deal with that and you can't just go to your room, you know you it were the place I practiced if you had a stomach problem you you went to the where the doctor's room and you would lay down there because sometimes I know I could say, "Oh, I have a little stomach, I think I just go lay down in my room and uh nope you had to if if you were good enough to uh if it wasn't that bad, you had to keep practicing and so you just had to go to where the doctor was and lay down in the in the doctor's room with the doctor nearby so many times that had to happen and also my big problem when I'm away is I get homesick i'm a, a family person i get lonely for my children my family and that's the way it is for me and so it, i'm Looking at that all the time, you know, thinking of them, not all the time, but it really bothers me. So I've had, I really had to learn to keep going through all of that. So I had to have the faith to keep remembering just to keep going, just to take one step at a time and not give up on myself. So there are. Faith in myself and oneself is one of the most important of the three kinds of faith that we need to have. So I just want to name them because they're just part of the traditional way of giving a dharma talk on faith. So there's three areas of faith that we um, look at in the dharma. The first area is faith in our teachers, those who are sharing the dharma. We call ourselves more spiritual friends. You know, we, we have experience. We've been given the blessing of from our teachers to guide. And so um, and we're, we're doing that here in our practice. and we have really specialized training for those like Nolita and Jozen to learn how to do that as well in very specific ways in all areas. And so um, we think of ourselves as spiritual guides, not the same way like we're kind of like a guru or monastics who are treated in in a more traditional way. So we are your teachers for this time period. We're doing the best we can to um, give you the teachings in connected in a traditional way so we don't lose that but also connected to life as it is and connecting it to life in this day and age and how it is for each one of you as human beings. So we also have faith in the teachings. We're, we're giving the teachings in a way that um, hopefully can connect with our daily lives. And we read suttas from 2000, 600 years ago, but also deep understandings that come from other beings uh, that we know of uh, contemporarily. And faith in oneself. So this is the most important one. It's good to recognize um, and have teachers that you have faith in. So to choose teachers that might speak with you, to you, in your life. And in the West, usually it's not just one teacher. You know, you have, with, especially with Dharma Seed, Tape Library, you can have several teachers. You know, you listen to several Dharma talks of people who offer it in a way that can go into your heart, that you can say, "This really, I can really relate to this. So uh, having teachers that, you can, that can relate to you, that you can relate to them, and also having teachers you feel safe with, You really trust having teachers that um, where their sila or their commitment to non-harming is embodied. It's not just that they're talking about it, but they're walking their talk. So it's important to have faith in our teachers in this way, with those kind of um, uh, ways that you might feel safe with them, you would feel safe with them. And then there's faith in the teachings. Um, As the Buddha said, come and listen. Ehi pasiko. Come and hear. Come and see. Come and listen. Come and try it out for yourselves. You're welcome to do that. We can offer them. You can try them out and see for yourself how it is. When I would look, or any of us would look to our teachers, um, I think they have their own my colleagues have their own experiences but when I would go to Pandita to kind of depend on him for uh, kind of carrying me through they have a way the Burmese teachers have a way of putting up their fan and saying it, they actually use their fan to read their Dharma talks too but uh, their notes but actually it was a way of you know, kind of like you keep your energy and do what you need to do for yourself. I can't do it all for you. I remember one time of meeting my teacher somewhere, this one teacher, Upandita, and um, I uh, said, I'm really happy to see you, uh, Venerable Sir, I'm really happy to see you. And he said something to the translator. I didn't get it translated then. But at the end of being together with them, Um, the translator said, do you want to know what he said? And I thought, well, the way she said that, it was like, I'm not sure I really want to know. (laughs) But there was translating something that, it made me understand how he was offering the guidance to me. When I said, I'm really happy to see you, Venerable Sir, I'm really happy to see you, he said, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you mindful. Because that's, otherwise you're just always going to look for their praise, right? (laughs) And their jokes or whatever. He would never tell a joke, but (laughs) their way of kind of entertaining you. um, That's not what they're there for. We're there to, to make you mindful. We're there to impart the teachings that will give you freedom. So Then there's faith in oneself. Um, And within that, which I spoke a little bit about in the beginning already, there are three different kinds of faith to understand about oneself. There's blind faith, there's bright faith, and there's verified faith. So in a nutshell, I just want to talk about all of these. Blind faith is when we cannot trust our own experience mainly because we don't know it. Our experience is being mindful of the mind and the body. The body is the first foundation of mindfulness and the other three have um, something to do with various aspects of the mind. So that's what we're guiding you in. We're guiding you in knowing yourselves through connecting mindful awareness to all these four foundations of mindfulness which we we we're bound to cover during a retreat like this. During longer retreats, you get longer teachings about each one of them. So in blind faith, what we do is, because we don't know our own experience, because we're not following the practice, we just kind of follow, you know, um, sometimes people come to practice just to be in silence, and that's, that's good. But it would be much better if everybody came to learn how to do this practice as a training and, um, and to carry it out. Like Manindra would say, um, the Buddha solved his problem, you have to solve yours now by actually carrying the practice out in your own life. So in blind faith, we misplace our trust, our faith in others. We just, you know, sometimes, I remember those times, I just wanted to hear the Dhamma and then agree with the person and not do it, not actually carry it out for myself. But it was good enough at a time just to hear, it was really lovely to hear the Dharma. I could agree, you know, and that wasn't, that wasn't enough. That was like, ooh, just tiny tiny bit. So, but here we're doing the opposite. We're coming to know ourselves. And when we do that, our faith can get brighter. So the second uh, after blind faith, the second one is bright faith. And that's bright faith is when, uh, along with your own practice, when a person, a reading, or a place inspires us really deeply, and illuminates new possibilities for us. So you might, you know, some, some at some point, maybe you met someone, or just being here at IMS or other venues, it really just inspired your faith. It was kind of um, quietly doing that in your heart and in your mind, and helped to continue uh, your practice. Sometimes I had to borrow my faith. Uh, Borrow faith from my teachers who had faith in me, you know, who would say, You can do it. You can do it, you know. But when I asked too much for that, you know, or was expecting too much of that, the teacher would know that and would just ring the bell and say, Time to go, (laughs) you know. Uh, And you knew that, okay, you just have to carry it out yourself. It's not just waiting for the teacher to say, you're doing well, you're doing well, but it's for us to do it. And sometimes during hard bits of practice, we need to have time with the teachers or our spiritual friends to help us keep going. So then there's verified faith, uh, blind faith, bright faith, verified faith. That's when we've experienced fully the skills to deal with difficult times in practice. And we're able to use our own inner power, our own inner uh, ways of of knowing, our right, uh, our wise view of the practice, our wise view of the path, and um, seeing things more and more clearly, developing more compassion, stronger awareness, moment to moment, the kind of right energy that we need, uh, as we've talked about here. So this kind of faith is really... It's not devotion to some, somebody else, even to the Buddha. It's not devotion to like some religious kind of organization. It's really devotion to your own potential for awakening. So if we can translate faith into devotion devotion to our own potential for awakening, then that would be the best way to translate all the energy that we put into our practice. Faith is that. Devotion to our highest aspiration. And that will lead to devotion to helping others along the way. So it's one moment at a time, one step at a time, one experience at a time. I love what um, Martin Luther King Jr. said about this. I think about this all the time when I don't know if I can take the next step. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. You can still climb somehow. And so this is a kind of faith I have. It's more of a devotion to you get this far, you can't look back anymore. Once you start getting losing that delusion that start was covering up everything, you just can't put it back on again. You've you've seen glimpses, and you need to keep going. So these are the all the uh, parameters of faith, the conditions that. Nourish faith, our virtuous conduct in speech and in mind, developing the mind, developing wise view, knowledge leading to liberating understanding, practicing generosity. It's the first of the paramis because it helps just to kind of open the the hand and heart of releasing, releasing the old views of things as they used to be and seeing in a new way how everything's so impermanent and yet precious, how things are all moving along. Where in all that is there a self? It's so ephemeral. And we understand dukkha more to be a wisdom, seeing that there's nothing that's going to give lasting happiness. Can we enjoy it when it's there and let it go when it comes, when it goes? So we learn more deeply how to be with life, how to see life. So not giving up on oneself and keeping that faith and trust in our potential for transformation. So let's sit for a moment and let the words dissolve. thank you for listening to the dhamma. we have about a half an hour for walking and then chanting. it's going to be one of our last evenings of chanting, so see if you have the energy to and the faith to come back. <laughs>